I'm Malka Fleischman, and you're listening to The Shape of Faith, a podcast about love and religion and the faith that brings them to life. everyone. Tonight I'm talking to someone I'm just meeting for the first time along with all of you who are listening. But uh, strangely, we've been connected through our moms for several years already. Um, Thomas uh, is the son of my parents, landscape designer, who's become a good friend of my mom's. So it's really only because of mom chatter that I even know about you. Um, but my mom for a while now has been telling me how fascinating you are and your siblings are. So I'm really happy to finally get the chance to hear your story straight from, from the source. Um, so welcome. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, my pleasure. So brother Thomas Patrick was born in Phoenix in 1981 to a family with secular Jewish roots on his mother's side and Protestant New England though unchurched and fairly disconnected roots on his father's side. Thomas is one of three, having two older siblings. And after his parents divorced when he was an infant, he, his mom and siblings moved out east where he gained a stepfather and grew up in suburban New Jersey, loving the arts, music, and as he says, arguing. So I definitely wanna talk about that a little bit more soon. After high school, Thomas studied history at Brown University, where through the Bible and an influential friend, he also got interested in the academic study of religion, as well as in its teachings and promises for the believer. By his graduation, Thomas considered himself a Christian, though still unbaptized. After college, he traveled to Israel, becoming more religiously committed there and experimenting with his sense of belonging in different Christian groups and churches. In 2007, Thomas was baptized by a friend in a private ceremony, and around that time, he also started working on organic farms out west and becoming interested in teaching. After what sounds like a confusing and illuminating journey, Thomas chose to join the Catholic Church in 2014. He continued teaching for some time, but longed for more structure and purpose in his life, as well as more space for prayer. He began visiting Mount Angel Abbey, a home and seminary for Benedictine monks, and found in it a balanced feeling existence with, as he says, good spaces for listening. Thomas joined the Abbey, going through the typical stages of monastic initiation in 2017, and he received the religious name Thomas in honor of St. Thomas, the Apostle of Jesus, who initially doubted his master's resurrection and was later convinced of it. So I definitely want to hear more about that name choice as well. Uh, Thomas made the traditional vows of obedience, stability, and monastic conversion very recently on September 11th, 2021, and um, I'm so grateful that you're able to make the time to be here chatting tonight. It's my pleasure. (laughs) Welcome. Um, So, you know, Thomas, it's really hard to know where to start with that bio, um, because I just, I have so many questions that I want to ask about that journey, but the first thing on my mind... um, is, you know, given how secular sounding your childhood was, or at least how secular your family's root system seems seems to sound um, on either side, how do you understand your feeling deeply drawn to religion during college? And, you know, were there any, were there any points before then um, 
at which religion piqued your interest and, you know, in your mind's eye, what, which moments or combination of moments or factors do you sort of see as the spark plug for what has turned out to be a very spiritual religious journey? Yeah, thank you. Uh, there are many moments that piqued my interest uh, in the phenomenon of religion, you know. Um, I studied art history when I was in high school, continued that in college, uh, kind of tripped out on people that I met who were religious, and I just couldn't believe, you know, that was fascinating, right? So there was this, uh, this man who um, he prayed before meals. I'd never seen that. That was very interesting in college. Uh, but that's different, you know, to be interested uh, and to, to find it invading myself. How did that happen? Uh, you know, from a secular point of view, um, you know, to go to a point where actually uh, I needed to question what made my life worth living? Um, what was I not um, aware of in myself that was more important than who I really was? I mean, you said fascinating earlier, uh, you know, um, okay, it's, a, it's an interesting story. It's a long story. It's an ongoing story. But uh, I thought of myself as very fascinating uh, in, in high school and college. Um, and it took somebody who was more fascinating than me to realize that I wasn't so fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was the, the most providential thing was, was the friend that you mentioned. Um, somebody who uh, was religious, um, but in a sort of unconventional way, in a way that I didn't think was stereotypical, in a way that was very smart, and in a way that was sort of offbeat um, and so cool in that regard. But, uh, but yeah, uh, knowing him made me look at myself in a different way. It made me look at myself as somebody who was just part of a universe and not the center of it. Um, and he turned me on to the Bible, which was something that I had never really read. Um, you know, I knew it the way that people know the Bible stories who, you know, watch satires on them on TV and stuff, but I'd never really sat down and read anything from it. Mm. Uh, I can remember moments, you asked about moments, you know, f- where I was reading a certain passage and it deeply touched me. And I thought, this is about me. You know, this passage is about me. It's asking me something, a question or asking if I've made a commitment. Uh, and I, you know, I remember physically where I was, you know, I was lying on my friend's couch, you know, or um, it was the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep, or um, I was on the bus coming back from this horrible thing that happened and, and I opened the Bible and there it was, you know, and things like that. Um, are those moments, you know, they, they require preparation. Uh, things have to happen in order to make you open to that. To say, in a very short way, you know, how did it happen that I became deeply invested in it? I just say it's providence. You know, there are things that um, I didn't plan on happening, which uh, both initiated and and furthered the growth of of the Holy Spirit in me. Uh, And, uh, you know, mostly it was people. Um, The Bible is people too, you know, I mean, that's somebody's, somebody's words written down for me. And so in, in most cases, it's, it's some person that I met, some circumstances that, um, again, made me 
re-question, you know, what, what have I thought is valuable and, and maybe I'm wrong about that. And maybe there's something else that's more valuable um, and a reorientation that that requires of me. Right. Well, that's so beautifully said. And so it's, it sounds, you know, I'm, what I'm hearing, it sounds like there's sort of a, a rearranging of the, of your self-conception and sort of a, a humility that felt more like home to you than, than maybe the way you'd been orienting prior. Um, home? What does this mean? <laughs> that's a good question. Maybe we'll get to that over the course of our, <laughs> of our chat. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's the dislocation that was important. You know, I mean, being made to feel comfortable with where I'm at, I'm very mistrustful of that, very mistrustful. Okay. Uh, when things are too comfortable, even physically too comfortable, I don't like that because um, it's easy to start to overlook the real deficiencies that are inside of me and the real deficiencies that are that are in the system that we live in. Uh, you know, I mean, we start to become inured to small talk that becomes our way of relating to one another. Uh, violence and abuse on media, we start to say that's normal. Um, we can become accustomed to that, comfortable with that. Um, it took, as I say, you know, someone outside of me to say, shut up, that's not good. Mm. Stop doing that. Stop laughing at that. Stop making jokes at people's expense. You know, the, that was very uncomfortable. You know, I mean, I, I had to, again, reassess, so maybe I'm not worth what I thought I was. That's a good experience. Right. No, absolutely. Um, but it also sort of sounds like, you know, sort of that for you being in, in a state of of comfort for any any length of time is not ideal. And so oh. it's, it's interesting to be drawn to discomfort. Is there, in that, is there sort of... Um, either like a, a zealousness or a, a speed or energy that it, that it injects into your life or, or to, to sort of be drawn to things that are uncomfortable regularly, you know, in a. Well, I don't want to paint myself as some sort of um, extreme ascetic or something. I'm a monk. I'm a Benedictine right. monk. Uh, and monasticism has a very long history. And it started with people who were maybe, uh, to our way of thinking, a little freakishly uncomfortable. Right. Uh, you know, they were living in forts in the desert by themselves, or they were sitting on top of pillars for, you know, the 30 years of their life, or they, um, you know, had extremities of fasting and uh, that we we look at as unhealthy today. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not drawn to physical abuse this way. That's, that's definitely not the portrait of myself. Right. I, want, I want to draw here, but. Um, but a monk is somebody who leaves the world. That's baseline. You know, there's something that is, uh, that's always going to be attractive about that uh, to some people and in some ways to all people. Uh, because I, you know, the, some of the things that I alluded to just, just now, uh, in, you know, sort of abstract terms, you know, people really do know that. You know, right. I mean, they, they really do know that okay, these cartoons that we're watching as kids are really mean-spirited. You know, I watched The Goonies the other day, you know, for the first time in a long time, you know? You know the movie? Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'd seen it when I was like eight or something, you know, it was awesome. And then I watch it when I'm, you know, 38, and I think, these people are mean to each other. 
-hmm. you know, this is not good. You know, to, to present this as an ideal or a norm, you know, that's not good. Uh, you know, it's like you're eating something, you know, that's not good for your body. What does it do to your soul? And you imbibe that. Okay, well, that's a silly example, maybe, but um, if you talk to anybody about that for any re reflective period of time, they'd probably agree about that. And they'd say, yeah, you know, that's right. You know, they're, they're actually not very good to each other. And no, you, you don't really want to live that way. And, you know, it's just a movie. Who cares? You know, stop thinking about it too much. But, but um, to some extent, I think all of us have moments in our lives when we're called to, again, recalibrate, reassess what is really valuable. And um, for a monk, uh, those moments become transmuted into a way of life. Uh, they, they become a way of conversion of life, continual conversion. Um, and that's one of the vows that we take as monks uh, is continual conversion. Uh, so I'm always uh, looking at every day. And in fact, I'm required to do this every night. I'm asked to look at every day and look at what went awry. You know, what wasn't quite right. Mm. Uh, because, uh, you know, this is a basic element of the gospel uh, that, that Jesus asks us to, to consider ourselves needy uh, and, and to be asking for God's help all the time. So the monastic way of life fosters that. And, and why am I attracted to that in particular? Why is that me? Uh, yeah, I mean, a combination of things that happened and my temperament. Right. So continual conversion, this is the first time I've heard that phrase used. Um, and I did want to ask you about, I mean, I guess it answers my initial question, which was, do you consider yourself to be a convert or do you, do you have complex and then, you know, other question is, do you have complex feelings towards the notion of, of conversion? Because so many people do in and outside of religion. Um, you know, are there ever moments when you sort of doubt the validity or stability of conversion? So I'm really curious about this phrase, continual conversion. Hmm. Can you tell us about that a bit? Sure. Um, well, there's a, I think, a very understandable, very relatable way of thinking of that. Um, actually, the the phrase is odd in St. Benedict's rule, uh, which is our kind of founding document, um, sort of the constitution of our order, uh, written about 550 um, by St. Benedict. And, and St. Benedict had tried different ways of life uh, before he wrote this rule. And the, the phrase that's used in the rule uh, to describe what we're doing here is conversatio morum. And uh, although that is frequently glossed as conversion of life, it, you know, the Latin is conversatio, which is um, like conversation. Right. Uh, there's a very everyday way of thinking of this, which is simply um, try to do your best. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we're reading uh, a book together as monks. We always do this. Uh, during most of our meals, we eat in silence and we listen to uh, a book being read. And it's a book on table manners, uh, of all things. So she's wow. a scholar of table manners. <laughs> author. So she, it's a very good book. It's excellent. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's sort of uncomfortable. We're all looking at each other eating, you know, and wondering, oh, he's got his elbows on the table. Or, you know, he shouldn't be scratching <laughs> his face like that. Or, you know, that's not the right way to eat peas. I just learned that. You know? but, um, but, okay, uh, that's something 
maybe not so serious, but but on the other hand, it, it's good to be aware of you know the way that you eat and does that bother people? Uh, that's that's conversion. You right. know, may, maybe I shouldn't chew with my mouth open. That's a conversion experience. You know, mm. in a, in an everyday way, uh, and monks have to do many things like that. Um, you know. You see the raw recruits when they come here, you know, uh, I was one too four years ago and they have some rough edges, you know, they do funny things, you know, they walk funny, uh, they talk too loud, uh, they, they pray in ways that are weird and bother other people, you know, I mean, so these are things that need to be sort of adjusted and, and that's part of what's meant by conversion. Hmm. But also what's meant by conversion is, is an inner thing. You know, which is to say, it's not just things that can be observed. It's also your your view of the world and your view of God and your view of yourself. You know, and those things have to be uh, adjusted your whole life. Right. And uh, and that's when we say a continual conversion. And you asked also, do I feel comfortable identifying as a convert, or what does that what does that mean to me? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a very obvious sense in which yeah, I was baptized. And, as an adult, you know, and uh, I started doing things that I didn't do as a kid. Uh, and that's, that's conversion too. But, um, but the more important thing is, is this internal way of, uh, of relating to, to reality. Uh, and every, every Catholic has to do that. Every Christian, every man and woman has to do that. Uh, or they don't grow. Right, right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really drawn. It's, it's a really uh, fascinating idea. I'm really drawn to this, the, the continual piece. Because I also, you know, in, in Judaism, there's a term, maybe you've heard Baal Tshuva, which is if you're, if you're a secular Jew or an unaffiliated Jew or, you know, and you, and you sort of return to a life of observance, then you're called a Baal Tshuva, which is like a master of return. Um, and, you know, my parents grew up secular, more or less secular, and then became observant Jews as adults. And so they fall under that terminology. And I've always said, I think we should all fall under that terminology because we're all constantly sort of returning or trying to at least return to some form of observance that's somehow uh, somehow an improvement upon whatever it is we're doing now or some kind of behavior that's an improvement upon, you know, if, if you really believe that you're meant to be continually improving or continually um, adapting within the religion, then it should sort of be a term available to everybody. Um, but then this is interesting, you know, why do we talk about returning? That implies that, you know, it's like make America great again. You know, there was something that was <laughs> the way it ought to have been and then something screwed up and then we're trying to return to that. Yeah, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure and I'd have to do a little bit more research. I don't know if it's meant to suggest that there's sort of wisdom literature or midrash literature about how, you know, before babies are born in the womb, they know all of the Jewish tradition, all of the Torah, and then they forget it. An angel touches them right here and they forget it. You know, who knows if it's a reference to that or if it's a reference to this idea that, you know, we're, we were sort of all present at Sinai and sort of all uh, members of some covenant to which you can return. I don't know, um, but it is an interesting question, right? Like, are you supposed to be continually moving forward towards some other destination or is there some kind of source? And I think it's more about the source than a prior iteration of self. 
some friend of mine once said that life is recovery from puberty. And <laughs> I don't know uh, if I don't know if that's too rosy a view of kids, but but there's something about kids that we we look at and we say, if only I could get back to that. Mm. You know, I don't know uh, what your feelings are on that or, or whether that's too sentimental, but. Um, but yeah, Muslims talk that way too, right? Because they talk about, um, so an unbeliever from Muslim is kafir, and that, that's the same root as, you know, kippur, right? Covering. So you've, you've covered something up mm. if you're an unbeliever. It's not that you don't know something or you haven't been convinced or something like that. You're an unbeliever because you're covering it up. Mm. You, you know what it is, right? You've put something over it. Right. Uh, mm. So there's a sense in which every child is, is really a Muslim. Uh, and, and that, well, I mean, we're laughing, but you know, every religion sort of has that a little bit in the sense of like, well, you know, if they knew better, they would be us, you know, this or there's something, uh, not to sound, uh, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, chauvinistic about it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, in, in Christianity, there's, there's very much a sense of you know, um, needing to return to a primeval state of goodness uh, and, right. and, and return, uh, you know, in, in that Jewish sense too, uh, I think also sort of implies that, that sense in which something is awry and needs to be fixed. Uh, you may know that the Greek for, for repentance, conversion, we're talking about conversion, right? But conversion sort of means like, like what? You turn something into something else. Right. You know, like you click the button and the, it translates into Cyrillic alphabet, you know, it's a conversion. Um, there's also repentance, which has this sense of uh, personal sorriness. And that's not very elegant, but, you know, you you do penance right. as, as a mode of repentance. Um, you know, when, when Catholics go to commit, uh, go to confession, you know, that's one of the elements is, is penance. They have to do something. Uh, to uh, to complete the process of, of confession, um, it's usually just uh, it's some prayers. But uh, but then there's the Greek, which is metanoia, right? Which is changing your mind. Mm. Um, there's not so much a sense there of return. It's almost like you're ignorant and you need to think of things differently. Right. In my own story, I don't know that uh, I don't know that return is really the metaphor, because I never felt like, um, you know, things were good and I just screwed it up so bad. I didn't, I didn't have like a real dramatic story, you know, like some, like some people have, right. you know, uh, problems with, you know, really bad relationship problems or really bad drug problem, or, you know, they, uh, they lose all their money or something like that, you know, and they have this sort of dark, calling out to God from, you know, in the rainstorm and say, like, ah, help me, you know, this moment of conversion. And then all of a sudden the clouds break and then they realize they take Jesus into their heart and things are different. You know, that, that wasn't my story. Right. Um, things built up over time. Right. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of adding together some of the elements you've, you've articulated and, you know, if, if home is sort of not, is sort of an alien <laughs> notion or one that, that sort of um, amorphous at the very least, um, in combination with this idea that there's sort of a forward motion or, or as opposed to a return. 
and and this element of discomfort, I'm not surprised that return isn't isn't really it doesn't really fit into the story, um, into that narrative. Um, you know, whereas I think, right, like in in and I'm, I'm speaking about Judaism because it's my native tongue. And so I can, I can do that, but you know, we say in our, in our high holiday liturgy and elsewhere, Hashem right. Return us to you. Oh God. And we'll return. So, and, and I'm sure that concept is present in other, um, in other religions as well in, in different and in, in articulated just slightly differently. But I think, I think that, that's why I say maybe the source is a better is is a better notion than to return to some prior version of yourself. Um, more like this idea that, um, and it's funny con- converts. Some of my friends who have converted to Judaism have also articulated this to me that it just felt like home, like it always felt like it belonged. And when they were introduced to the religion, it was sort of like, well, that was where I was always meant to be. Um, so maybe in that sense, it's a return. But I'm but I am really sort of it's really, I'm really drawn to this, um, this sort of alchemy that you're suggesting of discomfort and, and, and not, and not being home and, and, and something that's, um, that's moving away from whatever prior version of yourself might've existed. And, and it's very interesting. Um, so I do, I, I, I want to get back to your bio for a second, because I, I want to make sure that I get through the thread of your life, which is really, like you said, it's a long, it's a long journey um, and it's still going. Um, but I'm curious, you know, after you graduated and you went to do this religious seeking in Israel, um, you know, how did your family take to, to that decision? Because most people in this country, they graduate and then they go get a job somewhere. Um, and so I'm curious, you know, were they accompanying you on that journey? Were they your constant conversation partners? And to what extent were they privy to the spiritual searching that you were doing? And, and how did they relate to it? And how, and maybe how do they relate to it still? I'm, I'm curious about that. That's a good question. Uh, they're part of the story very much, uh, all of them. And, and you'd have to ask them personally about their convictions along any point of that story but but it was weird for them I mean it was it was very strange that that their son would uh, would do this I mean it's it's more God than Jesus that was strange for them although Jesus is very uncomfortable for for my mother and her family mm-hmm. uh, my grandmother did not like to see me cross myself before eating uh, right that was hard for her my uncle converted recently uh, so my mother's brother uh, so he was baptized about two or three years ago, uh, and he's part of the Anglican communion. He goes to church regularly. And, uh, you know, that's a hard thing for a Jewish man to do. Uh, uh, that is to say, I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, well, I'll just put it this way. I mean, there, there's a lot of misunderstanding um, about what, what Christianity is and isn't. Uh, and there's been mis- misunderstandings about the Jewish people and the Jewish faith about what that is and isn't. And sometimes those misunderstandings have been very ugly over time. But um, I think with regard to me, the, the question, although it was uncomfortable for them, I mean, it was a conversion for them, uh, but the question of God has never excluded them because of course god is god everything is related to god and so my my parents are related to him too and uh 
it was really nice to to be in Israel and and to see the beautiful faith of the Jewish people there. I'd never seen that before. Growing right. up, I didn't have that experience, and uh, it's legit, you know, as the kids say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it is a it, it is a legitimate uh, response to what God has done in in their history, uh, you know. And and the beauty of that. Um, the authenticity of that uh, really helped to cement what I already had learned, uh, which which is that um, God is good, and there's nothing that is good that is outside of God. There's something good there. Uh, there's there's some way of understanding them, um, which is charitable. Uh, and uh, this is I'm talking about what now my family right i'm talking about the jewish people i'm talking about humanity right if you if you go anywhere and meet anyone who has anything good in them you know, saint paul says this he says uh you know uh, brothers if there's anything lovely if there's anything dignified if there's anything beautiful uh, think about these things mm. and the god of peace will be with you uh, because we come to god in strange ways a lot of us uh even those who grow up in a particular faith and never leave it, um, God bless them, but they still have to make it real for themselves, authentic for themselves. They still have to reconcile God with everything else and everything else to God. For my parents, it wasn't hard. They're not, not you know, difficult people. Uh, they're, they're wonderful people. Uh, my brother and sister, all my family was very lucky, you know, to be raised by them and to be with them. So I never found it, necessary to you know reject them or anything like that right i did i did find it necessary to question them and the way i was raised because as i said dislocation that's that's oh i'm all about dislocation <laughs> so, <laughs> now you are. we're finding out it. no but uh, not at all actually i mean i'm very much the same person that i was um, you know in their house but yeah i mean if you ask them did you ever think that brother thomas would be a monk uh, you know, I mean, that's the odd question, you know, these days, people don't do that very often. Right. Uh, but it makes a lot of sense for me. I mean, the way that we live here matches who I am in a lot of ways. You know, so it's, it's not completely from me. Um, otherwise, it would have been possible to predict this 20 years ago, and nobody would have predicted this 20 years ago. Um, so it's not me. But then again, it fits me. Right, right. What would they have predicted, right? When you first went to college, was there a career plan in place? You know, and you said you, you after Israel, you went out West and you were farming and teaching. Was there ever a time when this wasn't somewhere in the back of your mind, the plan, and you had other big plans for your life? I'm not good at making big plans for my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the reasons I'm here. I, mean, that I don't have to do that here. But, uh, no, I mean, I've... I've I feel bad for people. I was teaching high school uh, before I came here and, and uh, I had this ridiculous class I was supposed to teach called senior seminar. And these seniors, you know, they were scared out of their wits. Right. I feel bad for these kids. You know, they think that if you don't get A's, you won't go to a good college. And if you don't go to a good college, you won't go get a good job. And if you don't get a good job, you won't get good money. If you don't get good money, 
you can't, you won't be able to marry and have kids. And, you know, your whole life is going to suck because you failed this test. You know, that, that's how they feel. A lot of these kids, the high achievers anyway, you know, the yeah. ones that have some talent, they feel that way, scared. I felt really bad for them that they have to plan out every detail of their life. And the reason why they think that is because it's been done for them already. Right. That's the irony of it. They have so little choice. You know, it was the dumb kids who had more choice. Yeah, well, anyway, that, that's yeah. a valedictorian syndrome, right? You, <laughs> you only learn to color inside the lines. You do that really well, and then you don't know how to be creative and, and imagine things. Or risk-taking. risk-taking. Yeah, 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 other than how they've, they've been, yeah. But anyway, God can touch them too, you know, things happen. But yeah, I mean, this, this, this notion of planning, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I thought I was smart, so I'll do something smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I met that guy that I mentioned who was smart, but he was also big and strong and capable, and I wasn't. And I thought, well, that's cool. I wish I could do that. Uh, maybe I'll do things that help me to do that. There's something vain in that, uh, and, and still is. Uh, you know, guys are often measuring themselves uh, against other guys, you know, in terms of what they can do. Uh, and so farming is something like that for me. Um, farmers do that. You know, farming can be very humbling. It is very humbling, but it is also an invitation to pride because uh, if you succeed, you know, and especially if you succeed in outworking someone else, mm. you know, farmers can be very prideful about much they work anyhow uh no that's no plan i mean farming that's <laughs> i hate to say that you know because farming is wonderful and i wish it were a plan you know our system is messed up here i don't know how much you know about that but you know it's it's virtually impossible to be a farmer in this country yes you know, that's not good uh but but anyway no i i was sort of just reacting and and um it's not like I'm an idiot uh, that, you know, I couldn't make a life for myself or something, but, um, but I don't, I don't really see career as very attractive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, what is that about really? Uh, again, going back to these poor high school kids, you know, I mean, uh, one thing that I taught them, uh, you know, the world values widgets, you know, they, they want to see you produce something that they can measure but you see me, I'm your teacher. Aren't I sort of good at this? Can you measure this? Mm. I don't think you can. Right. You know, there, there's something real that can't be measured there. Uh, I'm not you know, uh, touting myself here, but the, the point is that you know, there are real things of value that develop and grow in our lives that don't make money and yeah. never will. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're underpaid because it can't be measured. And that's our only basis for evaluating uh, something's value. So that's incredibly unfortunate. Um, So let me ask you this. I know you had your initial baptism in 2007, but then you later joined the Catholic Church 2014, I believe. Um, and, And what you wrote to me, you described quite a bit of confusion related to Catholicism, or at least some, some, maybe, maybe confusion is the wrong word, but, um, but some 
pieces of, of either Catholic uh, theology or practice that seemed sort of uh, strange or new or, or complicated. Um, so first of all, what accounted for the transition? Why did you decide to ultimately convert to uh, Catholicism? And, and I guess in your mind's eye, you know, what were, what were you leaving and what were you gaining? And, uh, and what were some of the hesitations in that, in that process? Yeah, it's a good question, leaving and gaining. Yeah, I suppose whenever we, um, whenever we make a commitment, you know, if we really make a commitment, you know, instead of just saying something, but if we, if we really make a commitment, then we do leave something. That's true. Uh, well, with me, uh, it's not a very exciting story. I just, um, you know, wanted to be with other Christians and, uh, you know, if something's exciting to you or interesting to you, then you want to be with other people that, that value that. Uh, so looking around, um, you know, the, the Protestant churches that I had dealings with uh, were okay. They, they looked at the Bible a lot. I like that. The Bible's good. Um, <laughs> but, but they were, they were sort of, I don't know, um, narrow in some ways. Like one, one place was just like lecture. You know, you would go and the, he would stand up and talk about uh, Deuteronomy for an hour and then let's go home. Mm -hmm. You know, and that doesn't seem right. I mean, it's, there's something wrong with that in the sense that, uh, first of all, it's, it's too intellectual. I mean, it, all that is, is just, you know, what I had in college, you know, and that's, I like that. I like classes, but I know that that's not there is all there is to life, you know. So, what about for people who are not, you know, on that wavelength? And, right. Is this really serving them? Uh, and then also, it's not really building community. You don't really do anything together. You know, you're just sort of atomized in your chair listening to this. And, uh, other Protestants are not so fun. They are kind of crazy uh, in terms of putting a lot of, uh, and that's not very charitable, I guess, to say that, but, um, but in my, in my view, I don't get really excited about worship the way that some people do. Okay. I will say this, that my experience in, in Israel with, with Judaism was different. Uh, that was exciting in the sense that, you know, people are really giving it their all, some people, you know, in some, in some groups, uh, and that can be very exciting. But in the evangelical worship world, I didn't really feel it. Um, it, it was, it seemed canned to me. Mm. Now, what am I describing? This is like process of elimination. That's, <laughs> that's what I do. I mean, that's, you said about like, how did you plan your life? That's what I do in my life. Is I just eliminate the stuff I don't like. So uh, yeah, I looked at- Catholicism was what was left. Well, basically, I mean, that's, what is that not very romantic it's not very romantic. <laughs> uh, no you you want to look at the whole picture you know um the catholic church is big really big i like that because there's room for freaks like me there's room for people who um, are very straight-laced there's room for every ethnicity under god uh there's room for many different theologies um, all of that is Catholic, and that's the small c Catholic, which you may know, you know, it means katholos is the Greek, it means according to the whole. Uh, and that is also on the microcosm too, you know, it, it feeds your whole person. 
uh, you know, it's, it's not just about your brain. Um, you're doing things, you know, you're worshiping with your body. And, and that is very important, you know, because there are, there are times when I'm so sick of what's going on in my head. You know, I don't want to hear another peep out of myself. Right. Uh, you know, so it's really wonderful to just kneel or to eat or to feel oil. You know, I mean, those are, those are wonderful things that God gives us through our bodies uh, that the Catholic Church has stayed true to. And that, that for me was a decisive thing in the end too, is, is what is true to the original program. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, to follow Jesus uh, does not mean to do exactly the same things that Jesus did. You know, that's just not possible. Uh, you know, I mean, we don't live that way. And, you know, he is God. He knew that we wouldn't do that. Um, he did call people to imitate his way of life sometimes in a literal way. And monks do that somewhat literally in not marrying, for example. That's one right. important way. But the thing is that um, there's really only two expressions that seem to me to be historically valid, which were uh, the Eastern and Western church, what we call the Orthodox church, what we call the Catholic church, and everything else related to those things somehow imperfectly. Um, so I, I still have great you know, respect for people in, in a Protestant church that, that love God, worship Jesus, read the Bible, meditate on the Bible, incorporate it into their life, um, live good lives, have their families brought up in that tradition. This is all good, um, but it's very new. Right. You know, and new doesn't mean wrong, I know, but, but that's just the thing is that uh, the controversy, not to get too historical, but you know, the controversy was, well, what is new? The, the reformers were claiming that they weren't new, that they were going back to the source and that the Catholics had introduced all these new things. But that just doesn't, I think, hold water over, over a real scrutiny. Uh, I mean, are you telling me that like a Presbyterian church, like that's what Jesus was, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like that doesn't seem to make sense. But right. on, the more, on the more personal um, existential level, uh, I had to say that most of, the, most of the Christians that really impressed me with their lives were Catholic. Right. Most of the men and women that, that I thought were really walking the walk. Because the Catholic Church, once again, is large. And it, and it produces broad-minded people and the people that really listen to what the church has to say. Uh, it produces a lot of narrow-minded people, too. But again, they're welcome. Uh, right. Because it's that big of a tent. Right. But, uh, but I was attracted to that largeness and that, that breadth of vision. So, you know, you, you described your life at the Abbey, you've described it a little bit so far in our discussion tonight, but you also told me um, in our correspondence that there's balance there and that it offers good spaces for listening. And I know you already mentioned that meals can be silent, but I'm curious what you meant by that, the balance and the spaces for listening. And I think most people listening are probably curious what life is like. Yeah. Um, 
for a monk, um, you know, in the nitty gritty day to day and, and also in terms of the overall rhythm. And, you know, already you've said you were watching Goonies the other day, that sort of. <laughs> light, this Every day I do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but despite, you know, I like to think I'm, I'm somewhat educated about, about different religious practices and lives. And, and that came as a shock to me. Um, and so we shouldn't have watched that movie. It's a stupid movie. Um, I think, you know, I think people have an image in their mind's eyes of, of what a monk is and looks like and does. And, um, and I'm sure to some extent it holds true and then probably largely not. So I'm, I'm curious if you can describe that, yeah. that balance, that, that listening, that life. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Benedictine monasticism, that's the Western monasticism. Uh, there's, there's different orders that spring off of that as reforms here and there, but the mainline trunk of that um, is from St. Benedict, which is from 500 or whatever uh, AD until the present. And along that time, it, it really acquired lots of different uh, lots of different activities, lots of different spiritualities, lots of different um, historical accretions that made it what it is today. Uh, what makes a monk a monk? Well, uh, one very important baseline thing, according to the rule of St. Benedict, is regularity. Uh, we have a very regular schedule. Um, in fact, the rule is called regula. That's the Latin, regula. So we are regular that way. I can describe to you what I did today. It'll be almost the same as what I do tomorrow. Wow. I woke I woke up at 4.30 today, and then I took a shower. Then I went to hit the snooze bar, and then I went back to bed, and then I took a shower. And then after that, uh, I got shaved and dressed, and I put on my habit. It's a monastic garment. It's all black. This is to remind me that I'm going to die, and that everyone around me is going to die, and that all the things I care about. The symbol of the order is a circle, uh, and then in that circle, there's a cross. And uh, that very much sums it up. Mm. Uh, we go around and around. Mm. And inside of that is the cross. So as soon as I go downstairs, the cross starts. Actually, I guess it started with the snooze bar, right? But, uh, but I go downstairs and, and uh, the bell is ringing. It's time for vigils. Uh, and this is one of the offices that we pray. We, we pray that was called the divine office. This is the official prayer of the Catholic Church. Uh, and throughout the day there are these set times for prayer uh, and the main body of that that prayer time is we chant the psalms we chant the book of psalms mm -hmm. and in our house we chant uh, the 150 psalms uh, every two weeks so that number of psalms is divided into several different offices beginning with vigils uh, and then to logs and then noon prayer and vespers and this runs throughout the day and the idea there is that it sanctifies the day. Um, it, it is something that we return to and then take back into whatever we're doing throughout the day. St. Benedict calls it the work of God. Uh, and that means both work that we do in the sense that prayer is work, but it's also work that God is doing on us uh, in changing us through our prayer. Right. But uh, after that prayer is over, then um, we have some quiet time. Everything has been quiet so far. Uh, you know, I mean, there's noises and things, the alarm clock. Uh, but, you know, nobody is talking to each other unless they need to for some reason. Uh, but uh, even then, it's a whisper. 
this is the most beautiful time of the day, what I'm just describing right now. This is the best time. It's a very pure time of day. It's usually dark still most of the most of the year. And, and something about the dark times, uh, both the evening and the morning, help you focus. Right. That's what I mean when I say good spaces for listening. You know, the, the environment is controlled. Uh, you know, I, I like to raise plants. Uh, and I have a greenhouse and in the greenhouse, you know, you try to control the environment uh, to make it conducive to growth. Um, and that's what this is. This is an environment that is conducive to spiritual growth. Hmm. Because uh, although, yeah, you can hear God in a reggae tune, you know, or you can hear God uh, in a walk in the woods, you know, those is possible, but you can't hear God unless you're listening. And Sometimes we need silence. A lot of the times we need silence in order to remember what it is to listen. So that's, that's a big part of what we are about as monks. After, after Lauds, um, we eat breakfast and then uh, it's time for mass. Uh, mass is, uh, as you know, that's the most important ritual in the Roman Catholic Church. It's, it's where we um, hear in the scriptures what God uh, has done for humanity and and then we respond to that with our prayer and then god gives himself to us in the eucharist and, and as a community um, you know we take that seriously we try to make the the mass a prayerful and beautiful experience um, and that's one thing i mentioned you know the history of monasticism you know kind of accruing these different elements you know one of the things that we became good at over the years was just this was making worship very beautiful and dignified that's one thing that monastic uh, life fosters is making the liturgy, the worship experience, the center of life, and then everything else sort of radiates from there. So, you know, the spaces are nice here. You know, yeah. the architecture is nice. The music is good. Um, that's rare, right? I mean, I was talking about hokey worship before, you know, I mean, this is not hokey worship. I'm very grateful to be here. So uh, the mass is, is the highlight of the day spiritually for us. Um, it's also sort of the end of this golden time that I'm describing of like spirituality, because now after mass, um, we go to work. Uh, and, and the work the work that we do is depending on uh, the monk uh, and the season. Um, so for me, I do several things. Uh, I play music, I'm an organist, um, so I accompany the liturgy playing the organ. Uh, so I have to practice that and prepare for that. And I do gardening, like I said, so um, that's some of what I do. And then I, uh, I work in the seminary, teach there. Uh, I teach languages and other things. Uh, and sometimes I'm taking classes there too, that, that sometimes happens, that's part of your work. And so that's a big chunk, that's most of the morning. Uh, and then after that is lunch. Uh, I talked a little bit about the lunch. Yeah. Uh, and then after lunch, uh, another work period. Uh, and then uh, this is all capped off by Vespers, which is the, one of the main offices of prayer. Again, chanting the Psalms back and forth. It's been a long day. So by now we're not fresh anymore. Um, we're filled with all kinds of frustrations and disappointments and aspirations and excitements. And all of that is brought into the prayer. And we're also... Uh, remembering that we're monks and we're not just working. And we do that uh, right before dinner. Uh, and then we process into dinner and eat uh, and hear about table manners as we're eating. <laughs> and, and then after that, uh, we have some recreation time that's built into our schedule. Um, so about an hour a day, uh, we 
recreate. And what does that mean? It could mean just chatting. It could mean going for a walk or playing a game of some kind. Uh, occasionally athletics, so that's generally on the weekends. Yeah, um, chatting is the main thing. Schmooze about movies and things. Oh yeah, movies. Well, I'll get the back <laughs> to that. But uh, since you've mentioned, I should have brought up the Goonies. That look, makes us look bad. But but uh, after after recreation, uh, we have our last office of the day, which is Compline, and uh, then we are in silence again until the morning. Um, and people use that silent time at night for reading, prayer, catching up on personal things. You know, so that's our day. It's very regular, you know, and, and there are certain days that are special. Sunday is special because it's it's the central Christian feast, the celebration of the Lord's resurrection. Different seasons of the year have their special characters. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a lot. Um, what is our life like? You know, it, um, what I just described is for everybody, but then the individual monks have different assignments. Sometimes people are sent abroad to do things. That does happen sometimes to go to school or do some special job. And then the monks have their own predilections, you know, uh, some of the brothers like sports. And so on the weekends or some free time, they, they might organize some sports or something. Um, some of the monks are uh, kind of outdoorsy. They might go hiking. Uh, some of the monks are more artsy. They might paint icons or do some artistic project. Right. So, yeah, it's all kinds here. Well, okay. So you said a few things that, that were compelling to me. One was, you know, I just think it was well said, you know, you, if you're not listening, you can't hear God. I, I just think that's, that bears repeating, but, um, but also I'm curious about that and the silence and, and, you know, you, we've spoken a bit about discomfort. It sounds like these things could very quickly become creature comforts. Oh, I mean, yes. Yeah, your, right. life, <laughs> <laughs> your life is, um, it sounds like, uh, you know, there's, there's a really, um, there's a rhythm that's that's easily anticipated and that sort of um, one day looks very much like the day prior and the, the day that follows. And so I'm curious about where in that do you find the discomfort that I know you said is important to you? And, and across, yeah. Yeah. And also um, I'm curious about the silence and the listening. You know, there's an extent to which I would hear that and think, um, are there days when you don't hear God, even though you're listening, even despite the austerity of the environment and how dignified it is? And, and I'm, you know, I'm imagining what it looks like. And I've seen some pictures on the website and it does look absolutely beautiful. Um, and, and, uh, and like you said, dignified. Are there days when you're just not hearing what you want to be hearing? And, and with all that silence, how connected do you feel to the other monks? How do you form relationships there um, in that silence? So those are many questions, but that's some of what's popping up for me. Those are very good questions. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a good insight that you have to say that very quickly, this can do the opposite of what it's intended to do um, in terms of creature comforts, but also in terms of um, just a, a, a feeling of settling, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm done. My life is done. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's very important to always be challenging that feeling and fighting against that feeling. Sometimes it's done for us. There's many things that do it for us. Um, you mentioned one right at the end is relating to the other monks. Mm. Yeah, uh, I'm not like Brother Jesse. Brother Jesse's not like Brother Ignatius. Brother Ignatius is not like Brother Claude. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves. Right. 
uh, you can't leave. Mm. You know, I mean, that's just the thing is that um, what do you do with somebody that you don't understand and don't like? You, know, uh, you can do a few things. Uh, you can try to ignore them. That doesn't really work. Uh, you know, that's kind of a front. Uh, you can do the opposite. You can confront them uh, and say, I don't like this. Don't do that. Or, you know, brother, why do you, why are you like this? That doesn't work really well either. Um, because actually, uh, you know, we're on a little boat for mm -hmm. a long journey. And it's not very good to start a fight on a boat. Uh, you know, because actually uh, I have some problems too. You know, that once I bring up his problems, he's going to bring up my problems, which I don't know. The Lord says, why do you tell your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you don't know about the log in your own eye? Mm. Well, we see that um, frequently here, that feeling of, if only this guy would do this, everything would be better. But that's not really true, is it? Why is it that I'm always complaining internally? It's not anything outside that can really solve this problem. And that's an element or whatever, that's, that's one manifestation of this deep listening that I'm trying to cultivate here uh, is to really internalize that fact. Um, I like music, as I said, I'm a musician. Uh, you know, we want beautiful music. Uh, that's no question. But we get ugly music. Uh, you know, that's, that's me. I do it. You know, every musician knows this. There's a gap between what you want and what you can do. A good musician knows how to shut out things and not listen. That's a hard skill to learn, actually. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much music you know, but, you know, sometimes you're, you're playing something in one meter. And this is especially true in, in some modern forms of music. You're playing something in one meter against something else, which is in a different meter. Right. Don't listen to that other meter. Listen to your own thing. That's hard to do. It takes a lot of discipline to do that. You know, the, the cross is found here uh, often in social situations. Uh, the when you, say that, you mean the cross to bear or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, un the unattractive person, the unattractive monk comes to me and wants to talk to me. Mm. How do I react to this? You know, there's, there's a gradation of maturity here. You know, uh, there are people who run away. You know, there are people who roll their eyes. Uh, there are people who listen silently and nod. And there's people who have the grace of God to really care for him. Uh, that's hard to do. Uh, and especially if that person prevails on you. Uh, if you're stuck with them in a job together. This is one of the crosses. Right. And the comfort itself in a way. Um, I mean, I, I already mentioned that right at the beginning, you know, if things are too physically comfortable, what are we, how are we relating to one another? Are we able to have a conversation about something that is deeper or do we have to stay on the superficial? There are people here who are talented at small talk. And actually that's a great skill. That's really valuable because oftentimes that's what's called for in the situation. I don't have that so much. Uh, I can do it a little bit, but uh, 
you know, to feel that I'm public, a public person. Mm. You know, I'm trying to be careful in how I talk to you, for example, uh, because this will be broadcast and who knows what, you know, who will listen to this and they're thinking about my abbey. They're thinking about my brothers. They're thinking about my abbot. Right. My abbot. Um, you know, the abbot of the monastery is the person who makes decisions for the monastery and for the monks. Um, this is a big cross for him. You know, he has to, as St. Benedict says, he has to arrange everything uh, so that, this is a beautiful phrase, so that the strong have something to strive for and the weak have nothing to run from. Strong, say that again. He must arrange everything so that the strong have something to strive for and the weak have nothing to run from. Hmm. What does it mean to be strong and weak in this life? Uh, you know, day in and day out, that's hard. You can start to think, what is the point of this? I'm not hearing from God. I'm right. not talking to God. I'm just sitting here annoyed at my brother or annoyed at this thing I have to do. I should just be asleep, you know, and to do it every day. How long? Until you're dead. That's hard to do that, you know? I mean, a, a simple thing, um, repeated, can become very annoying or can become very difficult. Now, that's not to say that, you know, uh, I don't like praying or, you know, I don't like the office. I mean, uh, the Psalms are beautiful. The Psalms are meaningful. Our prayer, the way we do it is, as you said, dignified and beautiful. So this is not that much of a cross, is it? Right. And yet to keep doing it and not make <laughs> it dependent on how I feel, I don't feel like coming. It doesn't matter. You know, that, that faithfulness is difficult. Yeah, I, I would imagine. And are there people who leave? Oh, yeah. Why do they leave? Uh, all kinds of different reasons. Sometimes they feel that they made a mistake uh, or that the community made a mistake. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't have allowed me to be here. Or they say, um, I could be better used elsewhere. Uh, I'm not hearing from God here. I should be in a different place. Uh, these are some of the things that people tell themselves. Uh, it's a complicated and very touchy question. Uh, because it's not supposed to happen. You know, I mean, it's, it's like a couple that promises fidelity and then they don't. Right. You know, uh, it shouldn't well, happen. On that, that note, I'm, I'm curious, and I, maybe this is obvious to everyone else and just not to me, but do you, you know, you made this lifestyle choice for what seems to most people like a very intense um, and very singular uh, in a certain sense. It, it sounds dynamic, actually, as you describe it, but uh, a very intense and singular sort of religious devotion. And I, I'm, I actually don't know. Um, do you believe that this is, this represents the ideal for everyone, but it's a standard to which only some people are, are able to live? Or is it, is it only meant for, for a few people, for, for um, you know, is it ideal only for a small subset of the Catholic faith or, or the world population? And I guess, you know, the, the, the bigger question is, how do you understand your life at the Abbey 
um, in the larger scheme of society. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, first of all, I, anyone who's listening to this who has made it this far <laughs> uh, can surely relate to something that I've said. Uh, yeah. So I think it's a foregone conclusion that somehow what we're doing here what we're doing here relates to everybody and in that and in that regard it is meant for everybody uh, there's all kinds of people here not everybody is here of course uh, some people can't live the life they don't they don't like it they hate it you know they don't like the regularity uh, they feel chafed by that they want more freedom okay let's not jail I mean, you know, have to be here. Uh, and then there are people who um, they are strongly attracted to family life. Uh, and, and that carries so much meaning for them based on where they come from or, or whatever, you know, um, go do that. Uh, there are men who um, like what we're doing in principle, but there is this or that aspect of it that doesn't seem right to them. Like, actually, it's too social. Mm. you know, or actually, uh, it's too silent. Uh, I need to be doing more with the world and doing more with people. Well, there are different Catholic orders that, that might be a better fit. Uh, so no, by no means is it the ideal for everybody. Uh, but, you know, we talk about the evangelical councils, that is to say, you know, Jesus says several times things like, um, let anyone who accept this who can, you know, he's talking about celibacy when he says that. Um, he says that explicitly, this is not for everybody, but if anyone can do it, they should. Mm. And the reason for that, uh, you know, sometimes people characterize Jesus as somewhat of like an, uh, like an apocalyptic preacher, you know. There's something that's very true about that. Um, numerous times he's telling people that, uh, things are going to change very soon. Your life on this earth is going to end very soon. Mm -hmm. Earth as you know it is going to end very soon. Uh, and this, maybe going full circle back to where we started for, you know, that this call to dislocation um, is really at the heart of the gospel in a way. Uh, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, you don't really have time to be making a career for yourself. You don't really have to, you don't really have the ability to make a family that's going to last forever and be totally happy. Right? Uh, the, the call to radical conversion that the monastic life internalizes, uh, that's, that's a call for everybody. So no matter what way of life they're in, you know, if they are in the married state or if they're um, you know, doing something else with their life in the church or something, uh, I think what we offer is a reevaluation of what is really permanent hmm. uh, because because we live our lives preparing for death and that's not because we're morose and we hate life not at all uh, but we just realize how quickly and how completely things will change into the next life oh the next life is there is there a, a vision for the next life that is shared or is it sort of like something that everyone um, imagines for himself? Um, what, where, where's the, 
I know, you know, in Judaism, there's, there's sort of, um, it's a murky, it's sort of murky territory, but something <laughs> we're, we're meant to. It's really, murky. Yeah, it's murky. And, and, you know, but it's something we're meant to, and we have these sketches that are somehow some amalgam of what we've seen in movies and read in books and read in our own, uh, you know, read in our own tradition that, that, you know, in our, in each person's mind's eye kind of materialize into, into some vision of the afterlife. But I'm curious if there's some sort of shared vision or, or discussion of that. It's good to keep it murky uh, yeah. because uh, that's the reality is that we're, you know, evolved monkeys from a certain point of view. And, and so, you know, we're not entrusted necessarily with everything that God has in store for us. Right. It would blow our brains up or whatever, you know, right. so, uh, so it's murky, but, um, but we do know some things. Uh, we know this um, goodness. We know the next life is good. And in our own life here on earth, uh, this is something that we have to embrace. Uh, going back to that quotation from St. Paul, again, you know, whatever is good, whatever is valuable, whatever is beautiful, do that. You right. know, and, and the monastic life is very centered on that. You know, I mean, whatever we're doing, we're trying to do it excellently. And we're trying to appreciate what our brothers do. Another thing that we can say uh, about the next life is that it is communal. Um, it's a life with I'm not completing that sentence because, you know, uh, with who? Mm. With God. You know, that's the thing that we sometimes lose sight of. You know, the um, scriptures, uh, you know, there's lots of different authors and books in the scriptures, but um, how much of the scripture really has to do with heaven? You know, how much is that really what it's about? Uh, some people, that's like, all they think about when they think about religion is how do I get to heaven or, you know, it's just a substitute for, you know, uh, wish fulfillment. And uh, that's why they have this heaven story. If you took a cynical angle, uh, not really. It's about being with God. It's about communion with God. Uh, that's something you can have here, but not perfectly. Uh, and uh, why? I don't know. Uh, to be really honest, I'm not sure why, things always fall short on my end, but they do. But anyway, uh, God has touched me here. And that's something that I'm looking forward to in a more complete way uh, in the life to come. And yeah. as for other people, uh, I love people. I don't, I don't love, I'll put that another way. I love persons. I don't love people. Uh, groups of people freak me out, uh, <laughs> but, but I like individual people very much. And uh, with each one of them, uh, I try my best to to react to them, to give to them in a loving way. Uh, and I know from ample example, both in scripture and in life and the teaching of the church, that's that's how it should be here and how it should be in heaven. Right. So those are some of the things we do know. So you just said, you know, you mentioned loving persons and and not people and 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 love in general and this podcast is meant to examine both the religion and love in people's lives which which when i'm speaking to to a priest or you know somebody who's who's chosen celibacy or um you know i'm, I'm conscious of the fact that uh whatever the love is in your life it doesn't look like the traditional family structure that you know um, we're used to seeing. And so 
you know, how, I guess, I guess that's the question where, where is the love in your life? You know, where do relationships and love, whether they're romantic or familial or friendships, you know, um, where do they figure in your life now? And, and I imagine that's changed over time. And that feels to me, and I, and I ask this of everyone who, who makes a decision like the one you've made, you know, it feels like the ultimate sacrifice, um, uh, where I'm coming from, uh, <laughs> and I see, um, for everyone listening, I'm, I'm getting some, some head shaking. Um, or so, so yeah. So tell me about that. If it's not the ultimate sacrifice, then, then what does it feel like and, and how, how easy or not easy is that decision and, and that life moving forward? Oh, that's a great question, and and obviously very personal. Um, yeah, and if you if yeah. totally, if you don't want to answer, no, no. Well, I mean, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, how to answer a question like that without giving my life story? Because actually, my life story. I keep saying this. Maybe you don't believe it. Is not not that extraordinary. Uh, <laughs> what do I mean when I say love or hear love? Uh, I think it's kind of a magic word. You know, um, it means who knows. And yet the word has so much power. God is like that. That's also a magic word. Right. I believe in God. I just met a man who he was a Mormon and he said, I just found out that when I was a Mormon, I didn't believe in God. Mm. That's an odd thing to say. How can you find out that you didn't believe something before? <laughs> in a similar way, uh, we can have what we think of as love and it's not really you know, it's infatuation, or it's um, simple attraction, or it's uh, obsession, uh, the desire to possess. I guess the moments when I have um, what I would call my, my purest experiences of love uh, here in the monastery uh, are the times when um, I can accept somebody really for who they are. And, and not not think about um, wouldn't it be better if they were like this, uh, and to do that in a way that that makes them know that I feel that way. Uh, right. That's a gift that I can give to them. To talk about marriage or uh, intimacy uh, without that is to really cheapen it. Mm. You know, it's not something we get but something we can give. Uh, and the, the gift of giving is what we're really after, isn't it? You know, more than to be loved, we want to love. And, uh, and here in, in the monastery, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's got its crosses like any life. We sometimes feel like we're stymied. You know, this person, I can't do it. I don't know how to. Uh, but you know, God is surprising and he puts us in positions that we didn't expect. Uh, and I'm able to love people here that I would never have met if I weren't here. Right. I guess my, my next question is um, to enter into the life that you now inhabit, were there, and I guess this sort of relates to the last question, um, were there beliefs that you had to abandon. And I don't mean strictly religious ones, but over the course of your life so far, are there things that you once held to be true or thought would be 
true for you or envisioned for your life um, that you now question or dismiss or put to bed? Um, you know, are there things you once met with skepticism of which you're now convinced? And I guess that that also brings up my other question, which is the choice of the name Thomas, you know, um, and you had mentioned the origins of, of, of that sort of the story behind that name. Um, so, you know, I guess to phrase it as I have for other guests on the podcasts are, you know, the question is, which beliefs have died for you in the course of your life and which have been born or taken their place? At this point, I kind of feel like it would be nice if they all died. Uh, <laughs> because actually, I, I don't really put a whole lot of stock in beliefs personally. Um, you know, it can be useful for explaining problems. You know, if somebody is confused, you know, you could say, well, the church teaches this, you know, and, and that's good. You know, we, we have a big body of teaching that it can help people to understand the world and themselves, <clears throat> but only on the intellectual level, really. I mean, what does it take to get that down into the heart? Uh, I guess when I say that uh, I would like all my beliefs to die, um, what I mean is that uh, I had to become a more humble person in order to become a Christian. Uh, and I don't ever want to stop that conversion. To say, I believe this is the case, is not, not uh, a prideful thing to say. Hmm. But to say, this is the case, that's what I want to get rid of a little bit. Uh, in terms of what, do I, um, what have I had to sacrifice, or what do I envision sacrificing or whatever um, yeah there's uh, there's a sacrifice of pride there right the fat parts of the lamp uh, i would like to burn up uh, in this sense of uh, feeling these are my these are my understandings these are my beliefs uh, so yeah i mean it's not as if i don't want to learn anything more um, and it's not as if i uh, want to uh, become just emotive only and not, not a thinking person. Uh, but, but I think for me, that's been a big part of uh, the story is uh, mistrusting my ideas, learning to mistrust my ideas hmm. and not to think that I know better uh, than another person or uh, from the church. So a follow-up to that politics then, are you apolitical or do you sort of not really a lot, you know, are you, are you not into partisanship? Um, I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's where you want to be. <laughs> yeah, that's well, yeah. Okay. Well, okay, I, I should bring up Thomas now, just so we have a little bit of time left only. Um, yeah, okay, uh, Thomas was a skeptic. You know, they were there and he wasn't there and the Lord came to them and then they said, oh, we've seen the Lord. And he said, yeah, right. Uh, you're just dreaming. And I won't believe it unless I feel it, unless I touch him. And then the next week he showed up just for Thomas, right? And he said, peace be with you, Thomas, touch me. And Thomas didn't need to touch him at that point. And he said, my Lord and my God, which is more than anyone said of Jesus in the Bible uh, mm. up until then. My Lord and my God. Uh, 
for me, worshiping God means um, not erecting ideas and making those ideas more important than a person in front of me or more important than um, the demands of being good towards people. Uh, that wasn't very well phrased, but uh, I didn't get the idea. Politics is a big idol in our country right now, as you probably have observed. Right. Uh, it has its tentacles here too. Uh, there are people who strongly feel one way or the other, and there's only two, you know. Uh, this is a problem. Hmm. It very easily becomes something other than what is basic to us. And that's one of the one of the things that actually I, in reflecting on whether I should become a monk permanently, that was one of the things that came to mind was here I have the opportunity to live with people who have a perspective that I think is horrible. I mean, not everything about their perspective is horrible, but this aspect is horrible. Mm. Uh, how can I love these people? That's a project for all Americans right now. Uh, not just Americans, you know, but I think I can do something for us that way uh, just by being kind to this person, listening to them, not putting this or not listening to them, shutting out this thing that I think is actually alien to them uh, and actually makes them less of a, of a human being. Um, but that doesn't mean dismissing them completely. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it does. My only question is with your, and this is a broader question about the life that you're all living there, with your being sort of separate from the rest of society, do you imagine that there's some sort of spiritual ripple effect with the work that you're doing with your community there in accepting people there? Or how do you imagine then that that somehow betters the world around it. Cause I am getting the sense that you do believe, you know, and. Oh yeah, very much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just what we're doing right now is part of it. Uh, you know, I mean, you're asking me to reflect on what God does here. Right. Uh, I think that's a very obvious effect of, of what, what is happening in the monastery. Uh, but I think the most important thing, once again, is that inner work of uh, being changed into who God wants me to be. Uh, Putting the emphasis on that, it can't help but have good effects in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the case in and out of the monastery. Right. Well, to close, um, I'll just say thank you. And I usually ask everyone I interview, you know, is there a word or a phrase or an idea that you carry with you in your life, religious or, or secular, um, that that's just your guidepost. Um, so just to close, if there's something you can think of that you want to share. Well, I, I'm not so epigrammatic is that uh, <laughs> recently I've been meditating on something in my organ playing, which is music above all. Mm. Above all, make music. Yeah, it's important. I love that. I love that. And it's unexpected um, and, and, and appreciated that at the end of a podcast interviewing somebody who's, who's really in and surrounded by faith all day long, I love that there's um, an appreciation of and, and elevation of music. So oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. It was so generous of you. I know that your time is limited there. Your free time is limited. So thank you. You're welcome, Maka. God bless you. Mm -hmm.